Testament. So we've been going through series looking at Old Testament books and kind of talking about what these Old Testament books mean, what exactly they are to us as Christians, how can we read them, what helps I can give to you so that when you read them at home by yourself, you can better understand and, and get something out of them. And today we're going to look then at the book of Joshua, sorry, Judges. We're going to look at the book of Judges. So if you got your Bible, you can open it up to Judges. We'll be skipping around the different parts and looking at that. So I remember when I was back in school, you know, elementary school in particular, there would be times when the teacher would have to leave the room. You know, she'd have to leave the bathroom or get a phone call or for some reason or another, the teacher would leave the room and she would give us usually a worksheet and she'd stand up there and go, OK, everybody, you know, I've got to step out for a few minutes. I've given you some work. I need everybody to stay in their seat and quietly do the work until I get back. OK. <laughs> you were in education, Tom. <laughs> uh, so you already know how that story goes, right? First, you're pretty good. Everybody's kind of quiet working it. And then suddenly a few people, they start whispering to each other. And somebody gets up and walks across the room and talk to their friend. Next thing you know, a tennis ball from who knows where shows up and flies across the room. And by the time the teacher gets there, you might have kids on the desk. You have everybody talking. And the one thing that's not happening is the work she gave you isn't getting done, right? But the teacher does eventually show up. That's kind of the situation that's happening when you transition from the book of Joshua to the book of Judges. And then the book of Joshua, and actually it's repeated again in the book of Judges, uh, first couple of chapters, Joshua dies. And so Moses is dead, and now Joshua is dead, and Israel is left without a leader. And they're not just left without a leader, they're left with work to do. God has given them work. It's very clear that Joshua did not conquer all the promised land that he was supposed to. And even in the land they did conquer, they didn't drive out all of the former inhabitants. They were still living among them. And so Israel is left without a leader, in a sense, and they're left with a job to do. And the question becomes, what's, what are they going to do next? What are they going to do next? And so we actually read, oh, and this is going to be early, but somebody get Judges chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. Because you see that in Judges, it's God, he's putting Israel to the test to see if they're actually going to follow him or not. So who wants Judges 2, 21 through 23? All right, Sammy. No longer do I have a before the God will let him. I will use them to test Israel to see what the Lord is walking in after the forefathers of Israel. The Lord has allowed these nations yeah so with joshua being passed away it tells us that god intentionally allowed some of those inhabitants to stay in the promised land so he could test the next generation of israelites to see when the teacher's out of the room basically what are they going to do and it doesn't turn out well if you know the story of judges for us you know we're not national israel we don't connect to them that way. But in one sense, we can connect to them in the fact that we also are living in a time where we don't have our teacher in front of us. 
You know, Jesus isn't physically standing with us anymore. The apostles aren't here with us anymore. We have Jesus in our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit, but there's no physical person right in front of us. And so in a sense, we're in the same way. We're living in a time when Jesus has left. And the question becomes, well, what are we going to do when we have no physical leader? Because we're not Catholics. So we don't we don't follow the Pope. So we don't have any physical leader. What are we supposed to do as Christians? And judges, it warns us and it challenges us. One, it warns us, hey, man, these assumptions that Israel made, this capitulation to the culture that they did, um, these compromises, that uh, these are all, it warns us, this is what happens when you don't follow the Lord 100%. And it's a challenge to us as Christians. Hey, God has left us here too. Are we going to do better than national Israel did back then? Um, are we going to be more faithful than Israel was and their teacher was gone? And so this is where we get the book of Judges. Let me kind of bring you all up to uh, some preliminary stuff. And then there's two parts about Judges that makes it hard to read or hard to understand. Uh, we talked about last week with Joshua fighting, so I'm not going to bring that up as much in Judges. Um, so the point of Judges is to transition between Joshua and the kings, which starts in 1 Samuel, the next book, or actually one after Ruth. And again, it's kind of this time of what's going to happen between the period of Joshua, and they start asking for kings. Um, what you see in this time is Israel is not a unified nation. They are organized around tribes, primarily, and they don't have a single government. And it's in this idea of a, a loosely connected bits of tribes that God raises up leaders when Israel need them, and that's the judges. So the first bit that I feel like kind of messes with us when we get to the book of Judges is the judges. So my question I want to ask you guys is, if somebody was to ask you, who in the world were the judges in the Bible? What, what does that mean when we say the Old Testament judges? What in the world did they do? How would you respond to that person? Yeah, that was part of their job. They helped to solve the disputes between people. Actually, I think the Levites were the only ones that didn't have a judge come from their tribe. Everybody else had at least one judge come from them. They were, in a sense, the leaders. Yeah. Not in the sense of a king. They weren't like kings, but they were leaders. So God's appointed, I guess, regional leader to say, um, Usually, right before one was raised up, and terribly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a difficult question. I and mean, if you've never thought about how would you define it in Israel like judge, at least in, in this sense, when we're talking about the book of Judges, it is difficult. Because normally, when we say judge, we think of people sitting in courtrooms and, and ruling on lawsuits. But the Hebrew judge really was not that so much. The Hebrew judge was more like a, a general of an army. And kind of like Josh said, they didn't have a line of succession where 
once a judge died, the kid became the next judge. They didn't do that. They basically had no leader until something bad happened. And then God would pick somebody and raise them up to be almost like a warrior, a battle warrior for Israel to save them in a battle sense uh, more than anything. Uh, the judges were interesting because they really were not spiritual leaders. They were not, in fact, they weren't even chosen a lot of times because they had great spiritual features about them. Especially when you get near the end of the book of Judges, the judges are not good people. And God, they, God was still selected by them. God still selected them to do it. Um, so they weren't the spiritual leaders. They weren't, in a sense, kings. And sometimes they were over a small area. They weren't even ruling over the entire Israel. Um, but they were people that... God raised up at the appropriate time. The one part that you really have to remember when we talk about this messy bit with the judges, and it's the, the part that I feel like a lot of people mess up, is the judges were not people to emulate. If you read the book of Judges in the sense of whatever the judges did, that must be something God approved of, you're going to not read the book of Judges right repeatedly in fact part of the point of the book is even the judges were doing things that god would disapprove of and what was weird interesting is even in the book of judges sometimes they would do things and what they did would have success but that still doesn't mean that god approved of what they did even though they had success god might have used a bad decision god might have used a bad method but just because God used it doesn't mean he approved of that being the method they chose to do. And so you really have to read the book critically. And that can be a big touching point for some people because I've met people who aren't Christians, who struggle to be Christians. And a lot of times they'll point out books like Judges. Like why would God, and usually say, why would God command somebody who would to do that? And the answer is God didn't command them to do that. They were acting on their own sinful will when they were doing it. Um, and so even guys like Samson, who are Bible heroes from our childhood, are not the best people and not people worth emulating. And uh, in fact, almost all of them are guys that you really have to be critical when you read. And what you have to do is you have to take other places in the Bible and say, okay, even though they had success, does the rest of the Bible condemn or congratulate them for what they did and you really have to know what god says elsewhere to know if that's something that's good or something they did was bad regardless of how it turned out afterwards and so that's the first messy bit is who are the judges man and um they were military leaders that rose up that god raised up when the need came a lot of times it was regional they weren't always the best people and they're not always to be emulated in our lives the second messy bit then comes in what does the book of Judges actually teach us as Christians today since we're not national Israel anymore? So what do y'all think? What are some lessons that we learn from the book of Judges? Yes. Oh, definitely. He did. A lot. He did. He was he was gracious to him a lot in the book of Judges. He is patient. That's like the theme of the Bible from Genesis until 
they return from the exile. You know, Daniel. <laughs> yeah. What else do we learn? What else do you know about the book of Judges? Things go better when they follow God's way instead of the very last verse. Look at Judges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. They did. Would you Spent less time as a slave. They spent less time as a slave. Just what they Yeah. Every time he stuff, he made sure that it didn't Yeah, he brought more people in there to oppress them and make life hard on them because they were messing up. He brought and, they, and but he didn't just bring the people to punish them. He brought them to basically get to the point where they asked for help. They wouldn't ask for help unless he brought them to that low point. God was faithful yeah. to rescue them for sure, but it wasn't anything that they did. Yeah. Yeah, gracious. And Sammy kind of said that earlier with the sinfulness. It's cheating, Sammy. It's cheating. But it talks about the disciples relationship. Mm-hmm. Got a lesson, then they get the places, mm-hmm. then they spin sins, through idolatry, mm-hmm. and then they suffer, and cry for help, and God goes to do it again. Yeah, and it goes over. It does disciples. So y'all hit on a lot of these things. We're gonna point out some. Uh, I'm gonna point out some passages that kind of show the key points, and I I think. I was looking through this. Of course, there's a lot of lessons that Judges teaches us. It's 21 chapters, but there's really, I feel like, four that are kind of stand out and describe the book as a whole. And the first of those is the danger of idolatry and almost like not in full blown idolatry, but in sense where you kind of mix and have apathy about God and kind of dip your toes into idolatry and other stuff. And of course, we don't have idols anymore like they did back then. But but and all an idol is is something that you put your trust in instead of God. So an idol could be anything. It could be money. It could be a house. It could be a person. It could be a job. An idol is anything where you say I trust this more than I trust God, um, or I prioritize that more than I prioritize God. And this was the danger of mixing following God and also trying to grab a hold of these idols. So Judges chapter 2 is a very important chapter for the book of Judges. It lays it out. And so there's a lot of stuff in Judges chapter 2. Um, somebody read Judges chapter 2, 11 through 13. Who wants Judges 2, 11 through 13? Of the Lord, the of the Lord, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
when we were, if you are here last week, we were talking about Joshua, what God commanded the Israelites to do, and it's called a ban. Who remembers what that command meant? Say what, Joyce? Yeah. They were, so when they came in, they were supposed to get rid of all the stuff, they were supposed to get rid of all the people, and they were just basically supposed to cleanse the land from the wickedness that was already in it. And we didn't get to talk about this because we ran out of time. But when you read Joshua, especially near the end, there's a list of all the territory they own. And then throughout that list, it says, and the so-and-sos still live in that area to this day, and they serve the Israelites as servants. And it says that over and over and over again in Joshua. So you get this understanding that they didn't obey God by removing all these temptations from these idolatrous people. And the danger of not obeying God comes out in Judges, where the next generation, because the parents didn't, you know, totally dedicate themselves 100% to the Lord and totally remove all these idols and, and um, things that could be corruptive influences, the kids were a little bit more willing to go into the next generation was. And the next generation was a little bit more willing to go into idolatry. And it just shows the danger of that. Secondly, and related to this idolatry, and Josh pointed this one out, is the recurring theme that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The word I in the book of Judges comes up a lot. It either says that they did what was bad in the eyes of the Lord or that they did what was right in their own eyes. And so one is the one that Joshua, and I have you read it, but you just quoted it instead. Uh, judges 21, 25, which is the last verse in the Bible in the Judges. Um, judges 21, 25, where it says there was no king in the land. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And that is a um, stirring lesson, I think, from Judges for us as Americans. Because what is the definition of right and wrong in America right now? It's everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. If you ask the average American who's not a Christian, how do you determine what's right and wrong? Well, they say, well, each person does what they think is right and wrong. You get each individual gets to choose what's right and wrong. And what you see in the book of Judges is a culture that said the same thing. Everybody just did whatever they felt was right in their own eyes. And what you find is the horrible Wars, um, pain, destruction, violence that didn't come from God. It came from the Israelites, even against themselves sometimes. Um, and that is a stirring, like when I said it speaks to us as Christians as we wait for our leader to come back. That's a stirring reminder that the idea that everybody can do what they're right in their own eyes is a really bad idea. 
what we need to be doing is asking the question, um, what's right in God's eyes? That's what we got to figure out. Samson is the prototype judge for this because several times in his story, he'll see usually a girl and he'll say that she looks literally in the Hebrew. She looks right in my eyes. And usually it's a girl that's not an Israelite. It's a Philistine, Canaanite, somebody he's not supposed to marry. And he's the prototype person of an Israelite or a person who says, I'm going to do what is right in my eyes. And who remembers what happens to Samson at the end of his story? Anybody want to volunteer? Yeah. He loses his eyesight because he trusted the wrong girl, and then he dies. So it's a, and this is the book is a warning to us. That's the point. So you have the danger of uh, idolatry, and maybe not for us, but especially if you kind of dabble in it for yourself, your kids and grandkids might go deeper into that hole. Then you have the danger of saying, we're going to just judge what's right and wrong by our own eyes. And then third, as Sammy pointed out from his Bible, you have this idea of repeating cycles of um people coming to God. This is again Judges chapter 2, 14 through 19. So who wants Judges 2, 14 through 19? All right. Yeah. So the anger of the Lord was kindled Israel and he over the plunderers who plundered them. And he sold it into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer Whenever they marched out that the Lord was against them for harming as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they poured after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had fallen, who had obeyed the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to plead by their growing because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their children. So that, that gives a summary of the book. Judges 2 is basically a summary of the book. And so what you see in the book of Judges is not like a straight line where after Joshua dies, the next generation that comes along immediately plummets and everything is like on this lane, playing field. Judges last about 400 years this time period. So what you actually see is a slow decline where it's kind of bad at the beginning. But as time goes on, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And it repeats as almost like a chain link fence where there's a cycle. You know, they do some bad stuff. God allows them to experience oppression. They cry out to God because they're having a hard time in life. God relents and he gives them a judge to free them. And then as soon as they're freed from that oppression, they go right back to their old lives. But then the next time, it's not just back to the same spot, it's worse. And so they begin to do farther. They do worse than they did before. And then God sends somebody. They cry out to God because they're in pain. God sends a judge to save them. When they're no longer in pain, they go back to what they were doing. But then they go even worse. And you actually have a downhill slide where it, you not only have the repeating cycles, which is scary, but you have the repeating cycles in a downward fashion. 
which is even worse and also more terrifying. Um, and that in itself is a warning to us because we can do the same thing with God, can't we? You know, how many times have you known people who, you know, were, were not very close to God, especially Christians, I feel like, that were not very close to God, and then they have some sort of disaster in their life, you know, medical emergency, car wreck, kids in trouble, and suddenly they're like, they're in church, and they're ready to go, and they're passionate, and they want to de rededicate their life, and then their health gets improved, and their the money problems advance, and everything gets fine, and next thing you know, they're in church every other week, and then they're in church once a month, and then they quit going. You know, all of us have probably seen that happen before. And what Judges does is it shows us the danger of that cycle, that every time you do that, you're running in danger of not just going back to where you were, but of actually going farther than you were, because your heart's getting harder to God than it was before. Every time you go back to that, your heart gets a little bit harder from what God wants. And um, God will let you. He'll let you go down that slide. And that's the scary part, too. He'll let it happen. He'll let you choose. He'll let you choose what you want to choose. Um, this downward slide in the book of Judges is characterized by the judges themselves. There are six or seven major judges that the book talks about. That have long stories. There's more judges than that that are mentioned. Six or seven of them have long stories. So you have like Samson that we know about, um, and then Gideon. And what you see even in these judges is the first guy, the first major judge, he was a pretty good guy. He tended to follow the Lord. But with each judge after that, they got worse. And Gideon was actually the turning point. Um, before him, everybody was good. Gideon was the turning point where he did well for most of his life. But then at the end, he basically declared himself king. He created an ephod and an idol. He named his his son Amalek, which is Hebrew for son of a king. Um, and after Gideon and that those poor choices, they just get worse. You have Samson, who's not a great guy, even though we like I said, he's like a kid's Bible study hero. But when you read the full story of Samson, you realize he's not the, the somebody to emulate. And all the way to Jephthah, who's the one that did a child sacrifice, which is not commended in the Bible. And then at the very end, there's just no judges at all. And you have the worst, maybe the real most gruesome story in the whole Bible, in my opinion, in the last few chapters of Judges. Uh, one of the, the glorious, most wicked stories in the whole Bible. And it just shows that danger of even though Israel called out to God for hell, they never actually repented and stayed with God. And that was the key factor. So you have the danger of the idolatry, especially going on, that's doing things inside your own sight, these cycles of crying out to God and going back to your old ways. But there is hope in Judges, although it's not technically in Judges. Um, and part of that hope is despite what Israel did and what the Judges were doing that were not good, God, as Sammy says, still sent more Judges. Every time they called out to God, even though God knew they weren't really repentant, he still went and helped them, and he still sent a Judge to save them. 
And so what you see is not just the wickedness of what we can be, but the graciousness of who God is. Despite continual rebellion against him, that he was still there for them, just like he's still there for us and he's faithful to us. And of course, you get to the end of, jo of Judges 2 and um, you really ask the question at this point, where is Israel going to go? You get to the end of Judges and you're like, this is like the low of the low, especially after you read that last story. And you're like, uh, where, is, where in the world is Israel going to go from here? And God still provides hope. And that hope actually comes in the very next book, which is Ruth. The book of Ruth happens at the same time as the book of Judges. They're in the same time period. And the book of Ruth is placed there in our Bibles for a reason. And that is the book of Ruth answers the question, where's the hope in the book of Judges? Where, where is God at the very end of it, especially? And the answer is God is here in the Ruth. So somebody turn to Ruth and read Ruth chapter 4, 16 through 17. Who wants Ruth 4, 16 through 17? Okay. All right, Pam. Hey, Josh, you get 1 Kings 15, 5. 1 Kings 15, 5. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesus, the father of David. Yeah. Who remembers what the last verse in Judges is? There was no king in the land, so everybody did what was right in their own eyes. So what Israel needs is, again, they need a, almost like a leader to stand up and to correct the ship. And the question is, who's going to be that leader? Who is God going to raise up to correct the ship and actually bring God back into these people and his graciousness and his blessing? And the answer is in Ruth chapter 4, where this Moabitess woman is pregnant with a with a boy, and he is the descendant of David, who's King David. God in the judges is providing an answer with a king to a very interesting path. And Josh, read what the Bible says about King David in First Kings fifteen five. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life. Anybody catch what it said, what David did? It said he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. There's the hope. The hope is not in us. The hope is God providing a king who's going to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, David still had a problem, and that was in that verse too. Uriah the Hittite, his adultery that he had. So just like the judges, David, in a way, still couldn't be that king because he still was sinful. He still made mistakes. He helped, but he couldn't be the king they needed until 2,000 years ago with Jesus. And God himself decided to come to earth to live the sinless life we couldn't live, die on the cross to save us from our sins, rise from the grave so that he is the king who can save us from the downward sliders. He's the answer to the hope that we find in Judges. And so we read 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, that Jesus is the ultimate judge. 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, who wants that?
I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all and one that's here. Do you hear what Paul called Jesus? He's the righteous judge. He's the righteous judge. So what, what's the big idea of Joshua? The big idea of Joshua is that it shows us the danger of having the repeated, unrepentant negligence of God and the disaster that come when we slide that way. But it also shows us the hope that Jesus is the answer to our problems and God is always there when we cry out to help us in our need, just like he did with Israel. So y'all, anybody got any questions about any of the stories in Judges or any, any other comments? No questions. Who put all these stories together? That's a good question. So we don't really know who wrote Judges, but the best guess is it's kind of like the book of Psalms, where these accounts were written as they happened, and then somebody decided to put them all together in one book. And it would have been pretty early, um, you know, like 700 BC, 800 BC, something like that. But we don't know who the, it might have been multiple authors for Judges. What's 400 they, years, so. What did they find in the Dead Sea Scrolls? The Dead Sea Scrolls came from about 200 B.C. And they it was the Old Testament from 200 B.C. And it's identical to what our Bibles are. Uh, in terms of what they, you know, the order, they didn't put the books in the same order, but the content of the books is identical. Like 99.9% the same. So, Betsy scrolls were well after the book would have been put together, uh, 600 years or so. Okay, well, I'll, tell, I'll say two things I've been saving uh, about this. First, I wanted to say something about Samson. And when you read the book, when you talk about Samson is... Um, one thing that's important with him to remember is when you read his story, you don't realize how bad he was unless you know the Old Testament law, but you're not supposed to touch dead things if you're an Israelite. And Samson touches a lot of dead things in his story. He touches a dead lion. He actually eats honey out of a dead lion, which is even worse. You don't know that. Y'all got to read Judges. <laughs> Maybe that needs to be your homework. If you, if you haven't read Judges, R-rated, R-rated stories, non-BBS stories in the book of Judges. Um, so he eats honey out of the dead lions. That obviously was a big no-no. Uh, slept with a prostitute. He, the jawbone of a donkey where he killed a thousand with the jawbone of a donkey. Again, that's a dead animal. You're not supposed to touch that. So the, the concept of touching dead things is a huge one in Samson. If you realize that, you realize a lot of times that we think we're like cool, like he's killed a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey really is not that commendable from an Old Testament standpoint. Or the fact that he killed the lion then ate the honey is not that commendable from an Old Testament standpoint. Uh, he also gave it to his parents without telling them where the honey came from. So, uh, and then um, 
the other thing I was going to say is, again, if you haven't read Judges, you should do it. It does not date from a boring read. You know, we talk about Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, last semester. We're like, boy, these are tough to go through at points. Uh, even Joshua in the second half is tough. Judges is not a hard read. It does not get boring in ju Judges. And uh, it's not the kind that you want to read out loud to your children either. Um, it's it's it. You do not understand the depravity Israel went into until you actually read all of Judges and not just the stories you hear at Sunday school. Because um, they tone them down in those books. So, Most of the names have too many vowels. <laughs> Thankfully, there's no, there's not that many lists of names either, so you don't have to worry about that. It's just stories. Uh, anyways, so let me pray and we'll close out. Dear God, thank you for allowing us to be here today, Lord, and we're thankful for your word and uh, for the, the warning and the words that you've given us, the warning of judges, but also the hope that comes at the end. And Lord, I pray that uh, as we as believers in Jesus Christ, as we also live between the times while you're away from us, Lord, that you would help us be people who accept the challenge and do not repeat what the Israelites did. And we live people that are faithful to you no matter what. Lord, but ultimately we are thankful for your forgiveness and your grace, that even when we do uh, go backwards, even when we do make those mistakes, that you're there for us and you hear our cry and you give us hope in Jesus Christ. And we're so thankful for that. And Lord, uh, I just pray that you would help us be people that live out our calling in that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Bye, Brenda. Bye.